Hey, everybody, it's Gene Martz, and thanks again for joining us on another episode of Biz Books, where I talk to some great business authors about the great business books that they are writing. Uh, today, I've got joining me Clint Pulver. Clint, first of all, hello. What's up, Gene? It's nice to be here. Thanks for the invite. Glad that you are here. And Clint, you know, I didn't tell you this before we started recording, but as you and I are talking, uh, this will go into post-production and there'll be, you know, your book will be flashed up all the time. We'll have a URL for your website. We've got some people. Anyway, we just talk and I'll take care of all of the promotional stuff in the back end. Um, but the book, I love it here. How great leaders create organizations that people never want to leave. Um, like all my interviews, I like to read the books. I took a bunch of notes on it. Um, it was a great book. Um, Clint, first of all, before we dig into the book itself, um, your website is clintpulver.com, C-L-I-N-T-P-U-L-V-E-R.com. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get to the point of writing this book? Yeah. So for the last five and a half years, I've traveled the world as the undercover millennial. It's kind of like undercover boss without the makeup. <laughs> I would go undercover. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and yeah, it started, I was a part of a mastermind group uh, a long time ago and I was in New York City and we were meeting with different business owners and leaders. And one of the guys that we met talked about how, you know, business is booming, things are good and how he's had to adapt. And if you don't adapt in business, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting here, you know, learning about his strategies and his tactics and how he's had to, had to just move and pivot throughout the years as a business owner. And then just out of curiosity, I just said, I, I would love to know, uh, you know, what about people? What about management? Sure. And have you felt the need to change how you manage people today versus how you manage people 20 years ago? Right. And he fired back and he immediately said, no, 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 no need to change. Okay. No, the, same, the way I manage people today is the same way I managed them 20 years ago and we get results. Okay. And it was, it was so interesting. It was such a, a bipolar opposite of, okay, you got to adapt and you got to constantly be changing in business or you're going to die. But with people, there's no need to adapt. And I just, it just, it was off to, for some reason. And I remember in, in his store, I looked around and all of his employees were my age or younger. So I'm a millennial by generation. Okay. That's the year I was born in. So there were millennials or Gen Z. And I just quickly thought, Gene, I said, Hmm, I wonder I wonder if they would say the same thing. I wonder if they would have the same idea that everything's just wonderful, picturesque, and, and just rocking in his business as he does. So I thanked him for his time. We had 45 minutes to kill until we needed to be to the next place. And I, I just, I had nothing else better to do. And I looked like how I do right now. I had a backwards hat on, I was wearing a hoodie, literally was a customer in the store. I walked up to the first employee and I just said, hey, I'm just curious, uh, what, what's it like to work here? And the employee got quiet, looked around. It felt like an illegal drug exchange. <laughs> and then he told me everything. He was like, dude, I can't, I can't stand it here, man. Like <laughs> everyone, every one of us were a number. Like I, I literally, I, I, I'm a cog in the wheel, man. I don't even think my manager knows I'm here right now. <laughs> and then I asked, I said, so then why are you working here? And he said, oh, I've already applied to three other places. As soon as I get a chance to bounce, I'm gone. <laughs> and that was the light bulb moment where I just, I really firsthand saw, especially not just from him, but as I went and interviewed in that 45 minute time frame, six of this, this gentleman's team members, his employees. Wow. And at the end of those six conversations, five out of the six of his employees said they would not be working for this guy and his store in less than three and a half months. 
Now, we all live in our little reality bubble, don't we? We all think what's really going on, and yet we are, you know, ignorant of of what's really going on. You know, Clint, what were you what what were you doing at the time? Like, how how do you make your money? Yeah. So, so right now I actually travel as a professional speaker, sharing the research, talking about the book. I've also been a professional drummer for the last 23 years and have traveled and toured all over the world uh, doing that. Before that, after I graduated college, I actually worked in the medical field. I was a medical consultant and worked in the OR and the operating room and was absolutely miserable (laughs) doing that. And I just said, man, there's got to be something else. And, And so actually this undercover millennial process I took place during that transition and I started doing it more and more. And I realized what I could offer and and this environment that I could create based off of my age going into organizations allowed business leaders to capture a perception that they most of the time had no idea was there. You know, you say in your book that we're at like a single moment in time, you know, you say it's the undercover millennial moment. Um, you were you were acting as an undercover millennial when you were in that store. But what 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 do you mean by it being such a such a moment, a single moment in time? Yeah, I think if you look at your life and, and really what makes it a great story, it's the moments. We don't remember days, we remember moments. Right. And and as I started going in and doing the undercover research, the powerful part of all of it was not when an employee was dissatisfied with their job. Or when an employee would just rant off about a manager and how they couldn't stand an individual. That wasn't the magic. The magic was when I would go undercover into organizations and say, what's it like to work here? And they would respond with, I love it here. I really do. I mean, I love my job. You should apply. I I met my manager, Susie. She's amazing. Why? And then all of a sudden, they started talking about moments. Hmm. Like I never, I never in the, in the 10,000 plus employees that I've interviewed undercover, I never had an employee ever tell me, you know, I really love it here. Cause my, my manager, he's just, he's so good at time management <laughs> or our, our quarterly projections are just so inspiring. <laughs> like, like nobody talked about that. They talked about moments of advocacy. They talked about moments where the organization or the leaders got to the part about them. They created hope. They created possibility, potential worth. And I started seeing these trends and I thought, my goodness, this is why people are staying. It is the intangibles um, that, that, that really were remembered the moments. You know, you, the, the, the timing of writing this book is so perfect because um, you know, the small business administration released data, you know, last year, uh, that, that said that more than half of small business owners in this country are over the age of 50, right? So they're like, that's like my generation, you know, I'm, in my, I'm 57, you know? And yet like half of the workforce right now are like millennials or Gen Zs who are coming. Gen Zs, I think people use the date 1995, you know, people born after 95 are theoretically Gen Z. They're coming into the workplace as well. So you've got sort of like this older crowd of business owners that are running America's businesses that have the way that they were doing things 30 years ago, you know, and yet they've got this new generation of employees that they have got to manage, you know? So, you know, there, there's a big disconnect. Don't, don't you agree? I mean, it's, it is a, it, it's an issue right now that these business owners need to need to address. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, the perception of leadership versus the reality of the employee experience is usually night and day different. And and the big problem is there's no incentive for an employee to go up and really speak their truth to the manager. 
I mean, could you imagine if an employee walks up to, to, to the boss and sure. just says, hey, Frank, I, I just really need you to know something. Um, I think this could help you. Every time we, we, we lose as a team, you blame everybody else. And then every time we win, you take all the credit. Right. Ha- right. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Right. You know, like, nobody says that. Right. Nobody right. says so. Instead, they just leave. They leave three months later and then it leaves upper management, the leaders, the business owners scratching their head going, I, I, I never saw it coming. You know, or, or or there's this stereotype of well, it's just the younger generation. Nobody wants to work. Nobody, and maybe the question is, nobody wants to work for you. Mm. And and I and I say that in 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 sincerity because mm. there are people of every generation that are killing it. Whether you're the leader, the owner, I found entitled millennials, lazy millennials, millennials that don't want to work. Mm-hmm. I found dedicated, hardworking, brilliant young talent that's out there as well and Mm -hmm. vice versa there's old boomers that are stuck in this old mentality of this is the way we're always going to do it and i've also found boomers that are adaptive and are understanding i gotta change i gotta get to the part about you if i don't adapt i am gonna die i've gotta i've gotta i've gotta i've gotta be the advocate i can't just be the boss so it ebbs and flows and uh the, the point is, is there's this middle ground of, again, how do we decrease that perception and how do we create an environment where people can actually thrive? They don't survive. It's not generational. It's just, it's just good business. And we've got to figure out how to do it better. You talk about uh, people that run businesses, um, you know, have to, you know, have to determine for themselves whether or not they're the problem or if they're the solution, you know, you, you write about, Obviously, all, all all the bad things that that you know are encompassed in turnover. Uh, we know that. I mean, it's you know, no business owner, particularly in a small business, you have you have twenty employees, you lose one one employee, it's five percent of your workforce. It's a big big right. deal, you know. So we've got to diagnose problems. You know, we've got to figure out if we are the problem or not. We've got to diagnose that. You give some thoughts on diagnosing problems, right, in your workforce. Can you share a little bit more about you know what what your thoughts are in doing that? Yeah. So really, I, I think that the first step, the first process is talking about leadership, is talking about the leader, talking about the manager, talking about the owner. We can talk all day about the problems of workers or generations or young people or, or the people in your current workplace. You could talk about that. But at the end of the day, I found in the research that when there was a significant change, it started with the leader because those leaders realized I can't, I can't control people. I can't, I can, I can try. I can use that fear-based manipulation. I can, I can, you know, do your job or I'm going to replace you. Easy come, easy go. Mm-hmm. And that's a great mentality. If you want to be a solo entrepreneur or you're okay with the revolving door of turnover, that's costing your organization thousands of dollars, or even worse, if somebody mentally checks out and then they stay. So I say that because really management is a key focus. And in, in our research, I found four different types of managers you, you read about this in the book. There was always two variables, whether an employee was satisfied or dissatisfied with their job. And especially when it came to management, I could always narrow it down to the standards that that manager had and the connection that they had or the lack thereof of both of those. So the standards piece would be like your vision as a company, the mm-hmm. rules and expectations, safety, regulations. I need you to show up on time. There's, there's responsibilities in the job. The connection piece was the empathy, realizing that people have a life outside of work. So the, the, the first manager, I think it's worth talking about. The first manager we found is the remove manager. Sure. So this individual, they had low standards. They also had low connection. Right. 
So this created disengagement in the workplace almost every time because the manager was just absent. They could care less if people showed up on time. Just do your job. Don't complain to me. I don't need to know what you did on the weekends. Just, just work. Okay. So people became removed. Right. Well, let's talk about the remove manager. You have you have the remove manager. There's the buddy manager. There's the controlling manager. There's the mentor manager. When when you talk about the remove manager, just to start that off, yeah, people want flexibility. You know, people want independence. I mean, there are a lot of people that that you know that like to be left alone. Is that such a bad thing to be a removed manager? I think if you're if you're wanting to connect, because no significant loyalty is ever going to happen without significant connection. Because if you want to be removed, then don't be in management. Right. Because your job as the manager is to get to the part about your people. Right. Management is about people. Leadership is about people. Mentorship is about people. Now, now if we we just want to be someone that that just sits back and and I get it too. Like there's there's the introverted manager, there's the extroverted manager. Right. That's not a part of this. It's not saying, well, you've got to be more extroverted. You've mm-hmm. got to be more outgoing. Mm-hmm. That's not it. It's about connection. Yeah, I think basically though, I mean, my takeaway is that the removed manager gives the perception of basically they don't give a shit. Correct. Know? So there, there's a difference between letting your employees do their thing and have responsibility, but still being engaged, still obviously yeah. having an interest in what they're doing, let alone who they are, not just giving up sort of wave of the hand, like, please don't bother me because this isn't, you know, I'm not interested, right? Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. So you compare that then with the buddy manager who is like your best friend, right? Yep. Yep. There's pros in their concept. And I'm thinking about uh, Clint, by the way, as we're having this conversation, like I'm thinking about myself, you know, like the kind of manager, like I'm kind of parts of like all of these managers that you just one day. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like the buddy manager, like, yeah, I am friendly with some employees over others. Um, although I I personally don't prefer to be buddies with the people that I manage because I think that there are lines that need to be crossed. Do you think a, being a buddy manager is a good thing or a bad thing? I think that it's usually well-intended. I think the buddy manager, it's like, I want to be your friend. I want you to feel loved. I want to like you. I want you to like me. But when it comes down to the standards piece, it's hard because you're the friend in the equation. Right. There are no boundaries. It's the homey mentality. It's you're the, you're the guy that went and played Xbox on the weekends with the staff. And then Monday morning, you're like, we got to do better. And everyone's like, dude, I just saved you in Call of Duty on on Saturday. And what, now you're the boss? Right. It it creates this sense of entitlement. And we would see this in corporations where the employees ran the show more than the manager. And because of this dynamic, it made getting things done, the standards piece lacked always. Yes, people felt connected, but the efficiency, the development, profitability, all the other things that are a massive part of business were always neglected. So there's the the buddy manager where you're two friends, too friendly with your with people that are working for you. You've got the remove manager where you really don't give a shit. Then there's yeah. the controlling manager, right? Where neither buddy or removed, you're involved in all the minutia of your employees' jobs. Tell us about that type of manager. Yeah, this is like that old school management style of put your head down, go to work. Okay, right. I'm not here to be your friend. There's the, there's a job that needs to be done. Do your job. Do you know how we used to do this 20 years ago? Right. Okay, don't whine to me. If I if I swear if someone else whines to me, I'm gonna lose it. Don't complain. You want me to love you? Okay. Oh, we got to love employees. No, I give you a paycheck. Okay. Smile. Tomorrow's going to be worse. Right. (laughs) It's that old school. Just, I want to go head to head with every employee and, and easy come easy go. Mm -hmm. And it created rebellion every Mm -hmm. time. Pushback. 
in the end, it seems like the mentor manager is the manager that you want to be. I mean, I realize that we all have traits of all of these four managers, but do you agree that sort of like the ideal type, the ideal type of management style is being a mentor type manager? Yeah. And there's a reason why I called it mentorship mm-hmm. because nobody really talks so much about the leader. Yes, that, that mentor had a leadership position and they never really talked about the manager. And when they talked about the manager, it was because they were dissatisfied with the job. Right. When they truly were loyal to someone, when they wanted to work, someone, they wanted to be better for someone, when they would stay later, they would work harder. They would, they would, instead of staying three months at a place, they stayed three years because of an individual. That person was a mentor. They, they explain this mentor mentality that, and it's really interesting because I call it mentorship because mentorship can't be, can't be given. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you can't give that as a title. Mm-hmm. Right. We give titles all the time in leadership. You're the supervisor, you're the director, you're the, you're the, you're the, the lead uh, manager, whatever mm-hmm. your people decide if you're the mentor mentorship has to be earned. You cannot become a mentor until that mentee invited you into their heart. Right. And if you think about your own life, Gene, I guarantee you, if you've ever had mentors in your life, great people, significant people, they earned that you chose them because of who they were. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm going through that right now. Like I just hired a kid um, in college as an intern and, you know, she's working for me like 15, 20 hours a week doing, you know, helping me with research and things like that. And, um, you know, she's, I'm not a removed manager because I, I want to keep an eye on what she's doing. So it's not like I don't give a shit. I really do give a shit. I certainly yeah. want to be her buddy. You know, she's 20 years old, you know, and, you know, so that's not going to happen. Um, I'm not controlling because I'm not detailed enough to be, you know, and I'm not, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't like that old school style. Like you had just described of like, just do your job. As long as you get your paycheck, you should be happy. Um, yep. I, I do find myself being more of a mentor, you know, to her, but you know, what's weird about that Clint is that that's like an age thing. You know, she's like a college kid, you know, she, she's like looking up to me for that mentorship. You know, um, I hire somebody else that's my age to do development work for me or financial work for me. It's a lot harder to become that person's mentor because that person's been in the workforce for like 30 years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, how do you deal with the, you know, with different, you, we were talking about like millennials and Gen Z's, but let's face it, the workforce is made up of people of all different ages and generations. How do you yeah. reconcile that? How do you deal yeah. with somebody that's your age and generation? That's a great question. And so mentorship, sometimes we do, we look at it as like, oh, you're this old sage, you're the wise one right, right. and you're mentoring the younger person, right? That you look at any great story and that's usually how it is. You've got this older person that's mentoring this younger person. But I also found lateral mentorship. Mm-hmm. I saw peer-to-peer mentorship and it, and it came down to, cause that was really the question. It was like, well, then do you have to be older? Do you have to be more seasoned? And it came down to the five C's, the five C's that I wrote about in the book, Mm. that if you possess this in the eyes of your your people, your team members, the people you're leading, if they look at you and they see this, ages ages is irrelevant. And and the five C's, I'll list them quickly, confidence, credibility, competence, candor, and the ability to care. If people look at you and they go, okay, yeah, you're, you're confident in what you do. You're confident in what you know. You, you, I believe that you can confidently get me from point A to point B. You're consistent. Mm-hmm. I have confidence in you. It, it exudes trust. Mm-hmm. You're also credible. I want to know your background, your history. You've got a resume that, that would make you relevant in this place. You're also competent. You're not just, you're not just the, 
the, the theorist, there's a lot of theorists, like leaders and managers that they, they sit the leadership book on their nightstand and they read it once in a while. But as far as like getting in the trenches and actually being able to do the things that they're teaching people to do, they struggle. They don't know it. They don't know how to do it. So they're, they're not seen as competent in the eyes of, of, of the people that they're mentoring. Candor, the ability to create relationships so strong that honesty could exist. Right. Like, like I'm going to be straight with you. I'm not here to fluff you. I'm not here to make you right. feel good. I'm not here to blow smoke. Like I'm going to give it to you straight. There was a, an element that was always needed in that in mentorship. And then, and then the ability to care, like none of those five C's, none of them are, 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 are based upon how old you are. And that, that can be achieved in lots of different things. Even in my business, I've got some younger people that are mentors to me because they are just more credible. They, they do research better than me. They understand SEO better than me. Hmm. And, and, they're, and they're 19 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> age, age is irrelevant to become a mentor. Clint, who was um, Lee the bell captain? And why was he such an influence on you? Lee's still a part of my life. Lee, Lee is one of those individuals that understood uh, how to advocate for, for an employee, not just develop them. Okay. Um, he showed us how to create moments and he ignited a sense of passion purpose in, in, in work that was unlike any other leader or manager I've ever had in my life. What was your relationship with him? Tell me where you worked, where you got to know him. Yeah. So I worked at Zermatt resort and Lee was the bell captain and I was a bell hop, <laughs> uh, just a, a younger kid. And he taught me how to serve people. He taught me how to live at work, not just exist. And I had never had someone that had shared that with me and had been so profound. Mm. Uh, he was a Mr. Jensen of sorts, right? The other individual that I talk about in my life that created a moment that changed everything. You talk about also being sent to the principal's office at one point in your life <laughs> and all about rewards and recognition. Tell me about that. So I was the kid in, in school that always had a hard time sitting still. I still have a hard time sitting. What a still. shock. What a yeah, shock. <laughs> yeah. I, I would just move. I would, I would tap. And obviously if you're sitting in a meeting and someone's clicking a pen or they're tapping their foot and you're like, do it one more time. And I swear right. it gets annoying. Right. And I got called the twitcher, the tapper. I got sent to the principal's office. Principal told me to sit on my hands. Uh, my parents were called. I was just, I was looked at as this problem because I, I just had a hard time sitting still, but the movement helped me to focus. And, and I'll never forget, uh, there was a teacher, his name was Mr. Larry Jensen. And he looked at me in class and he said, Clint, I need you to sit still. I also need to speak to you after class. We're going to have a conversation. And I remember thinking, this is it. I'm getting kicked out of school as, <laughs> as a 10 year old. And this conversation was about to launch a career. Absolutely. And we sat down and he said, listen, I I need you to know something. You're not in trouble, but you're kind of, I also need you to know you're kind of the kid that's on the list. Mm. You get teased, you get, you bullied, all the other teachers talk about you, you tap, you do it in my class and you do it in everybody else's. Mm. He said, but I've watched you though. He said, it's crazy. You'll, you'll sit there and, and you'll, you'll do an assignment and you'll take a pen and you'll start writing with your right hand and then you'll tap with your left hand. And then in the middle of the assignment, you'll just switch the pen and you'll start writing with your left hand and then you'll tap with your right hand. He said, I, I think you're ambidextrous. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm Presbyterian. He's like, no, no, 
I'm just kidding. I always throw that in there, Gene. Uh, he said, no, he's like, no, that's not what it means. He said, he asked, he said, can you tap your head and rub your belly? He's like, I just want to know. And I gave it a go and I could do it. And he said, switch your hands. And he leaned back and he goes, man, I don't, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. Mm. Mm. And some people hear that and they think, what's the difference between those mm. two things? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then I'll never forget, Gene, he leaned back in his desk and he opened up the top drawer and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks. Right. And he was an educator and an, 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 an adult, an individual the first time in my life who looked at this inability, this disability, this limitation, and he turned it into possibility. And he and put them in my that. hand and he said, just keep them there. Keep them there. Let's see what happens. Right. And he did that because he recognized this, right? I mean, and, and this is all about giving people recognition for what they do best, rewarding what they do best, right? And you can't really, you can't really do that unless you have a certain level of relationship with your employees. You certainly can't do that by being the removed manager or even being yep. too close by being a buddy manager, right? You really have to be a mentor to be able to step back and see what people do really well. It's exactly what you're, Mr. It's Mr. Henderson, right? That was his relationship with you, right? Well, and, it, and it, I look back at, you know, what made them so significant and mm-hmm. really what he did, what those sticks represented were two things, potential and worth. Right. And every right. time when I would go into organizations and I would find people that were loyal, people that were engaged, people mm-hmm. that wanted to stay, mm-hmm. it's because in some way, shape or form, that that leader, that organization communicated potential growth opportunities to, right. to grow it, something to become. Right. And then second, they communicated worth. We see you. We value you. We recognize you. Do you think it's... Do you, I mean, do you think it's the wrong attitude? I, I have an attitude where, Clint, when like I look at people and, you know, if I hire somebody or somebody's working for me and let's say they're not doing super well at what they do or they're making mistakes or they're whatever, before I, I, before I get rid of somebody or, or, or break that relationship, I always think to myself, because it's my business, I always think to myself, how, what other ways can I profit from this person? Do you know what I mean? Like this in your example with Mr. Anderson, I mean, like, okay, you're like a fidgety kid. You're not, you know, it's getting on everybody's nerves. He's like, he found a way for you to, well, profit from himself and also benefit others around you because you weren't so annoying as much anymore because you actually had an outlet for your twitchiness, right? You became a drummer. And I think to myself, like, you know, okay, you know, this person might not be good at this task, but I think they could be good at this responsibility. And I'm not even thinking it, I mean, the, the, the indirect benefit is that it, it, it really helps the employee to find, you know, something that they're good at and not lose their job. But I, as a business owner, remember this audience, you know, that you're talking to are people that run businesses. You know, I, I look at it from a, from a profit mode, from the organization. Like this person is not benefiting the organization where they are. What, can, what, what else can I be doing? What other role can they be playing before we disassociate ourselves. Is that a bad position to take? I guess is my question. I, I think it's important because again, we, we understand there's plenty of research on strength-based leadership and understanding what people can do and are they in the right place, right? Jim right. Collins put people in the right places on the bus and blah, 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 the seats. Like there's relevance to that for sure. I, I think the biggest thing too is taking a moment to, to, to sometimes as a leader, 
we, we think, well, how can I put them somewhere else? Or what can I utilize? Or how can I make this more profitable? Or how can I, sure. I squeeze the juice? How can I still utilize you? Because I don't want to go through the process of firing you and then go through Selfish. the process of firing somebody else. That's right. That's right. So, so my thought is, is what if, what if we created a moment? And that's why I talk about it in the later part of the book, the power of the status interview. Right. Right. We'll get like to understanding, that. Like their status. What are they wanting? What are they needing? Is it a good fit? It gives you the opportunity to have an open, honest conversation. Okay. Um, okay. Let me circle back because we're, you know, we're talking about our existing employees. Um, you, you start out in the beginning of your book about creating your dream team, you know, about hiring. And yeah. you talk about there, there are four principles to hiring, you know, your dream team, about hiring the right person, not the most convenient person. And hiring internally when possible and hiring for ABCs and letting your employees focus on what they do best. Um, talk to me about these principles. How did you come up with these principles? What do you think is, you know, is there any one principle that you think is more important than another? How do you apply these principles? I think, again, getting the right people is crucial. How do you find the right people? How do you interview the right people? I, that's not so much to the, the, the power of my research. I wanted to include it because it's an important aspect. If you have the wrong individual, a lot of the other stuff that I wrote about and, and, and researched in the book is not applicable because if it's not the right fit, if it's not the right person, if they're not jiving with you, they're not wanting to be mentored, if they're not allowing you in that position, if we just made a bad hire, then we got to start. We got to start there. So I, I, it was important to write about the other key aspect that I think is so critical right now is, is to always be recruiting. We've, we've researched, we've continued the research on the undercover mm -hmm. side. We've done 47 different organizations during the pandemic and employees right now, really for the most part, Gene, they've got two things on their mind. Number one, they all remember how they were treated during the chaos. Right. When 2020 hit, when crap hit the fan, they remember the things that leaders did. Okay. And I saw some pretty horrific things that managers did. I also saw some beautiful things. Right. When is it, they all remember. They're all talking about it. They all, they're all sitting there going, okay, this, uh, I saw who you really were. Right. I saw what you really thought. I saw what you would really do in a time of difficulty. The second thing is all employees have had time to think. To really think, is this where I want to be? Does my job today look the same as it did in 2019? Mm -hmm. Most people don't. Most jobs have changed. Mm -hmm. Most people, whether they're working remote or or now that now they're doing twice as much, their pay has been jacked up. All their friends got laid off or furloughed at the beginning of 2020. I mean, there's so many different dynamics and so many different areas. And now people, it really disrupted a lot. People mm -hmm. that were stuck in the routine or it was like, oh, I'll just have a job. I'm living for the weekend. Now everything changed. And now people are really considering and thinking, my gosh, I can, I can live in Colorado and work in New York City three days a week, whenever I want and make twice as much right? and save three times on rent. Like it's creating this dynamic now where everyone's like, how do I find good people? And I'm losing good people. I see that. where they're now just breeze and, and has eyes and is willing to show up. You have a job, you have a job. And then that, that creates the issue of, again, then we get toxicity in the, in the culture Then we have the wrong people. So when it comes to hiring, I, how can you always be recruiting? Hmm. How can you always be looking for the right people so that in this mentality, this mode, uh, 
you're just ahead of the game. It, it allows you to get better people. And you talk about hiring internally when possible as well, which by the way, is like, that's the number one place where business owners find good people uh, yeah. because they, they come with the experience they have. When you say hiring internally, do you, um, how do you feel about references from your, you know, from your internal people, from your existing employees? Like, like references from employee to employee or talking no, like from like, I have a family member, I have a friend, I have a neighbor, somebody that might be good, you know, for this company. What's your point of view on that? I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I mean, here again, it's about getting the right person who cares on how you get it. If it's right. the right person, and it's the right fit, then congratulations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You talked earlier about the status interview. Tell us more about what you mean by that. There's an age old adage, Gene, of, I, I had this story a lot of, you know, if you feed a man a fish, then you feed him for a day. Right. right? But if, well, if you can teach him, if you could teach the man how to fish, then you feed him for a lifetime. Right. Every time I hear that story, I think to myself, who said the guy wanted a fish? <laughs> right. <laughs> like maybe he wants a piece of chicken, Gene. <laughs> All right. And again, sometimes as leaders, we go, well, I know what you want. I know what you need. Okay. We're going to throw the Christmas party. I'm going to give you the water bottle. You know, we're going to give you these benefits. And they've never really taken the time to create an environment where people could truly give them the truth. Mm. I, I created a whole business for the last five and a half years. I have created an organization uh, based off of this, this gap mm-hmm. that you don't really know, yet you're trying. You, you, we, we want to do this. So how do, we, how do we decrease the gap? How do we understand the true status of an individual? Mm-hmm. My background is in the medical field, so I, I use this word based off of that experience. I also saw great leaders do it in unique ways. Mm-hmm. I call it status because a, a doctor in the OR would call out and say, I need a status check. What they were really referring to, or what, what are the vital signs of a patient? What's the heart rate, respiratory rate, body temperature, blood pressure? We've all got vitals. Employees have vitals. And so in the OR, we would check their status and the status would determine treatment. You would never treat a patient without checking the status. Right. But yet in business, we do it all the time because right. we just, we've read a book. Or, or, or Joe does this in a similar business, or we see this competitor do that. So let's just do it. And I'm saying, just let's pause. Let's take a moment and, and let's conduct a status interview so we can understand treatment. And then you treat the employee and then we recheck the status. If we just did that simple formula, it's amazing how we would increase healthy stability long-term in business. Right. Is the I, status checking status or the status interview any different than a performance review or a yes. variation of a performance review? Absolutely. Because the status interview is not a time for you to go over performance. It is not a time to go over quotas. It is not a time to go over goals. It is not a time to go over their, 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 their performance. That's not what this is about. This is a chance for you to become the advocate to, to, to look at what matters to them. Mm -hmm. Again, every employee right now, they are asking the question of their business owners, their managers. Let me know when this gets to the part about me, because if you don't, I will go and find a business that does. And too many organizations are learning how to do this better. And so we start there, right? How do we make the deposits of trust with an individual? Mm -hmm. Because if you make those, I believe you have more to withdraw from. Right. You can you can increase standards. You can have tough conversations. We can talk about you got to do better. I got to get more profitability. I've got to grow as a business. But far too often, too many business owners are trying to make the withdrawals and they've made no deposits of trust. 
And so we've got to get to the part about them. And some owners, business owners, leaders, I've heard it time and time again. They hear that statement and they think, well, those entitled little shining stars in my life. Like, I swear, if another employee tells me, well, let me get to the part about me, I'm going to lose it. Mm-hmm. Like, but again, take a minute and think maybe it's not so much about entitlement as it is about good business. How do we create this opportunity of collaboration, not control? How do I make this a win-win? How do I make the deposits of trust so that we can grow? How do I make this a relationship and a place where you want to be here? If you want to work with people, that's the mentality that's winning. And organizations are learning that. They are. And they're shifting. So so that's why the status interview, you know, the four questions – uh, that I wrote about in the book, I, I think they're key. I think they're important questions that if you created a moment with an employee and over time, you would, you would learn more from that little simple interview than you would through any survey that you would do or any other, uh, even uh, some leadership books, right? Like just ask them. Sure. Ask them. They'll tell you. Sure. Well, the narrative is now with a lot of employees that they want to be involved more in the businesses they work for. They want to be um, have a say in what they're doing. I mean, we read that in the headlines all the time, but some of the bigger brands out there, employees sometimes protest or they go public if they feel like their company isn't doing, you know, what they feel are behaving the way they should be, you know, they feel they should be behaving. But also um, listen, because we have an older generation of, of managers and business owners uh, not a lot of us are checking in with our employees as much. We, we figure like no news is good news until an employee quits, you know, um, which gets me to the next, you know, thing that you talked about in the book, you know, where again, we learned, we learned a lot from the millennial generation when it came to this, to the pandemic. I mean, for years before the pandemic, Clint, uh, you know, millennials have been saying to us as business owners, we should be working from home more. We want more flexibility. We want more independence. The technology is fine. And, you know, just as well, the, you know, the old, older business owners are like, no, 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 we're going to be keep doing things the way we did it. Just come into the office, get to work. And when the pandemic hits, everybody gets sent home. And what do you know? Everybody worked fine. I mean, the millennials, they were right the entire time it did work, you know? So it's created this, you know, the, the, this atmosphere now of just more, flexibility, you know, more independence, more mobility. And you say in your book, Hey, listen, you know, give them the wheel and let them drive, you know, but you can't completely, you know, give up, you know, managing these people, you know? So give me some of your thoughts about managing someone, an employee in this era of, I want as much independence as possible. I wrote about in the book, I, I was a pilot for a long time. I wrote yeah. about, you know, a lot of, a lot of business owners, we, again, we tried to diagnose the problem. We try to figure out people. We do the, you know, these assessments and these, give me, spit out a number and tell me who you are. And before I hire you, I need you to take this color code exam. So I know who you are and if you're going to yeah. be a great fit. And and I think the moment that we start figuring out and just, and, and thinking as leaders, okay, I can't look at people as a generation, or there is no hack, there is no one silver bullet, right? And realizing that people are people, right. and it's your job to get to the part about that individual, the more individualized, we can make our leadership, the more powerful it will become. Because here's the reality, sometimes a certain style of leadership will work with one individual, and it won't work for another. Yeah. Um, and and I, I wrote about in the book, you know, the, the, the power in an airplane, when I as a pilot, there's a manual, there's a manual for every plane at when it's supposed to use, when you're supposed to take off, when it will stall. 
uh, at what head speed you know your airspeed needs to be at at this level and and there's all the all the all the all the parameters sure. that would never replace getting in and just actually flying the plane. Right, right. Could you imagine if you created an opportunity? We'll go back to the status interview for just a quick second. This would because be because you say you're you know always be flying the airplane, right? Always be flying the airplane, right? <laughs> Give them a sense of ownership, but that doesn't mean you become removed and you just say, "Well, just do whatever you want and run the business into the ground." I don't care. <laughs> I want you to have ownership. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying give them a sense of purpose, help them to feel a sense of ownership, but still be the mentor in the story. Still be the person that they need because you're the person that will connect them to something bigger. Without you, their possibilities, their hopes, even the business itself is not is non-existent. Right, right. Meanwhile, you talk about always be flying the plane, you know, giving people their their independence, you know, letting them drive, but you know, keeping that supervision. And then you have a whole section on bracing yourself for impact because crisis happens, right? People still fuck up, right? Yep. So you've got employees that have crisis. You've got, you know, your company might have a crisis. You might have your, you know, your, your town, your country, your county that also might have a crisis as well. Um, you quoted Paul Romer, uh, you know, a crisis, terrible thing known to waste. <laughs> Tell me more about your thoughts on, you know, when a crisis occurs at these different levels, how do you as a manager deal with them? It'll always happen. It'll always be there. Mm. And I think when we have the ability to, to I, one thing I, I remember a manager telling me, I went in and did undercover research and there was this thriving organization where employees just consistently said, I love it here. One thing that manager told me, he said, I, one thing I've always strived to do in a time of crisis or when, it, when something's going wrong, I just try to be the lowest heart rate in the room. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And it was like a, a, a cool, unique principle that realizing, okay, again, I can only control myself. Yep. And, I, and I've got to, I've got to create an environment where people are safe, but they actually feel safe. Yep. You know, when, when, when crap hits the fan, would they actually come to you and really tell you what they're struggling with? Right. Or would they not, not dare tell you because you're going to hit the roof. Right. Or, or, well, you it know, can, it's, can a, it's a, a best right? example I give you is, uh, you know, I mean, you know, my wife, I mean, we've married for 30 years, but when an issue happens with one of our kids, my kids are all in their like mid to late twenties. Um, you know, they usually come to me when it's like a crisis, you know, because they know if they go to my wife, they'll be like, oh my God. Yeah. 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 So it's the exact opposite that's, of what you That's going to be the lowest heart rate in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and does that, does that make a difference with any kind of class? Like you talked about when, you know, an employee has a crisis, but it's the same thing, you know, with a, you know, when a company has a crisis as well, if things are going bad, if there's bad PR, if there's some bad event, um, as a manager, you've got to be the person that is sort of like, you're the calm voice. Is that, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. It comes back to, again, you, you got to be the mentor in the story, have right. that confidence, be credible. But I, I mentioned honesty, you know, speaking the truth to your people, uh, right. all the things that we saw so many leaders not do during the pandemic, right. but we also saw some leaders do that and do that really right. well. And, and so, uh, yeah, again, how do we maintain that control, but still maintain trust in a time of, of difficulty? Okay. Easier said than done. In that same chapter, you talked about money and you, you, you know, I, I have to, you said that money matters, you know, why, why does money matter in all of this? I think, I think money was a, was a, a big a contributing factor that when, when a business is fiscally responsible, when they've got a little bit of extra support, when they've got some savings, when they're trying to uh, live within their means, right? It gives more flexibility that we can support an employee. 
We can add more programs. We can add more, you know, I, there, there's, there's employees that have, or excuse me, organizations that have an employee budget that's set aside for if somebody has a problem. You know, right. could you imagine if you went to an employee that you knew was struggling and you said, hey, listen, we've got a little extra something and we just want to support you and your family. And, and, you know, you've mentioned just some of the marital issues and we'd love to help you guys get a counselor. Right. We'd love, we'd love to provide. I, I, I went in and did research for a dental chain. And I, I remember hearing about this man and this specific, her name was Brittany. Everybody talked about her, an amazing individual. And she realized that she couldn't pay people more. She also knew that she couldn't really advance anybody, mm-hmm. but she knew the, the importance of growing people mm-hmm. and helping them, whether it's, it's not just in a time of crisis, but in general. And she went and she enrolled every employee that wanted to in Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Right. And she said, you know, I can't pay you more, but I can help you guys get out of debt. Right. And that's something that we've got the ability to do as a business because we've been more fiscally responsible. We've tried to save. We set some things aside that allow us to give more to people. And sometimes business owners are like, I can't give you anything because I'm, I've spread so thin on everything else. Like the thought of giving you more money, like can't do it. The, right. the thought of giving you time off, can't do it. Right. And, and so how do we, how do we create this dynamic where you've got a little bit of, you've got a little bit of buffer that allows yeah. you to, to create those moments for people. It's funny when I talk about like having the money, I mean, I've, I've learned as my business has grown as well, that decisions become a lot more easier when you do have money. Um, it's just, you know, it's not the answer to all problems, but it, it, it does sure give you more options. Sure and when helps. you're, you know, and you make better decisions when you have, because you can turn things down that you don't need to necessarily Correct. do just because of the money. And it's the same thing with your employees as well. I mean, your employees are going to need help uh, regardless of the benefits that you're providing or the compensation you're providing. And that help might be actual cash. It might be some time off. It might be some assistance. It might be an introduction to somebody. Um, but there's extra resources that you need to be thinking about to, to really be that support. I mean, people forget that our, you know, our employees spend eight, sometimes 10 hours a day in our businesses, you know, and assuming that they get seven hours of sleep a night, you know, it's, it's the great, it's more than a third of their waking hours are with us. Um, I do think that we owe them a little bit more than just their paycheck and, and life insurance, you know, and health insurance. Um, we have to be there for them when they have, when they have an issue. How can we keep, take care of the person, right? Not just the employee, right? Like there's a higher, there was a company that their mantra was we, we, we hire people, not employees. Right. Like we, and this organization, they, when someone had a baby or a child, like they provided six months free uh, of diapers. Right. And, and they provided like just different perks, different things that it just helps. And they had the flexibility to do that. And right. I'm telling you, it mattered. To people, right? right. Matter to people. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I, I think one of the biggest um, faults among a lot of my clients, and I don't know if you see the same thing in the businesses that you've interviewed, is um, you know, small business owners do care, and many of them do that kind of thing. They do go beyond, you know, the, beyond the minimum for a lot of their employees. Um, a lot of the people do. They, they don't advertise it though. You know, they, they don't talk about it. They don't. You know, it's they, they offer benefits to their employees, but they don't sometimes employees don't even realize that they have some benefits available to them or that they can approach the boss for some help, you know, and sometimes prospective employees coming into a company don't realize that this company, it's not just, you're going to get your pay and your vacation, but these are the kind of things that we do for our employees. They don't talk about it enough. And I think that more business owners need to be talking about that. 
Yeah, it's it is a missed opportunity. All right, so Clint, so near the end of your book, you talked about your personal board of mentors. Okay, you mentioned Bill Gates, Larry Page, Eric Schmidt, Sheryl Sandberg, a um, bunch of other prominent tech CEOs. What do they all have in Campbell? Uh, in, in, I'm going to give it away in common. There's one, there is a person that they have in common. Tell us about Bill Campbell. Yeah, Bill Campbell was, a, was an amazing individual and a great mentor to many other great mentors. Yes. And when I found a, a, a significant individual in an organization that people truly loved, when I met that person, when I revealed myself, when we were, you know, because a lot of these organizations would hire me and they wouldn't know. And then I would, I would talk to the manager hmm. and I'd say, Hey, just so you know, like, this is what I'm doing. And I need to know who you are. <laughs> I need to know what you're doing because it's working. And I always found not all, but, but most of the time that mentor had a mentor. Yeah. That mentor was being mentored. There was somebody that helped pave the way that made a difference in their lives. And they learned from them. They, they, uh, it, 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 excuse me, it expedited their influence. Yes. There's, there's some, there's some people in my industry that will say, you know, be, be the leader that you wish you had. Right. And every time I've heard that, I've always said, no, 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 no. Be the mentor you were lucky enough to have. Right. To me, that's more relevant. To me, that's more powerful. I, you know, I want to be those people that influence my life and, and it makes it more reproducible. It makes it more relevant to, to become somebody like that. And most significant people had that in some way, shape or form, and it influenced what they did for others. How about yourself? I mean, you know, you make money from drumming, you're, you're a successful speaker and author as well, but you know, as a business person, you need your mentors. I mean, I know you've talked about Lee, the bell captain, you talked about Mr. Henderson, but yeah. who, who are your mentors now? As a professional speaker, I have a whole board of mentors. I will never forget when I very first quit my job and I jumped into the world of speaking after, you know, working on the book and still conducting the research. And there was a, there was a guy and his name was Mark Sharon Brock. Okay. He's a living legend. Like he mm. was the guy that just everything he did, how he created his business, to, to how he performed on stage, his storytelling ability, just the guy that I, I said, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. Mm. And I, I wrote the story about my dad, my wrestling coach. He said, Clint, if you want to be a great wrestler, then you got to hang out by the mat. Mm. Want to be great at basketball, hang out by the hoop. Okay. Want to be great in, in business, like hang out by those people sure. that are living and breathing the business you want to, you want to be. And Mark Sharonrock, <laughs> I found out he was going to be at, uh, uh, the National Speakers Association Conference called Influence. Okay. You may have heard of it. Yep. Uh, it. It's a big deal. It's a big event. And I, as a young you know, entrepreneur at the time, I didn't have a lot of money, but I knew I needed to do whatever it took to associate with astonishing people. And I bought a ticket. I found out Mark was going to be there and I flew to Florida. And I'll never forget on day one of the event, I go walking down the stairs and, and there he is. Like there is Mark Sharonbrock, like the man, <laughs> the myth and the legend. And he's talking to, to three other Hall of Fame speakers. Okay. I was so nervous. And I, there's a movie that I, I have loved that I've always just cherished in my life. It's, it's the movie We Bought a Zoo. Okay. And there's <laughs> a Mark theme. Wahlberg, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a theme in uh, the movie that, that it's all about 20 seconds of insane courage. If you can just, if you muster 20 seconds of insane courage, it's amazing what will happen. So I start mustering. I see him there. I walk up, <laughs> I tap him on the shoulder and Mark, this, you know, just icon turns around and he goes, how can I help you? 
Hmm. I said, Mark, my name is Clint Pulver. You have no idea who I am. I just literally quit my job and I'm, 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 I want to become a, a, a speaker. And I, I literally flew thousands of miles just to meet you. Hmm. Is there any ability or time or opportunity where you would give me just a few minutes to get some guidance? How can you say no to that? Right? Yeah, he, he looked at me, he looked at his watch and he said, let's meet right now. Wow. That's great. And we, and we sat down and for 45 minutes, Mark Sharon Brock just poured into me and guided me. And true. That was the day he became my mentor. And uh, it was a moment, uh, really a Mr. Jensen moment. And, and then I, I wrote a little handwritten thank you note and I wrote him and just said, Hey, I just need to know how much that meant to me. He wrote me back and he said, you're the first person in 25 years who has taken the time to write a handwritten note and thank me for my time. And he said, anytime you need anything, you let me know. Wow. And uh, for the last five and a half years, Mark has been really at the head of my board of mentors. That is and, amazing. And yeah. you still stay in touch with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, him, him and his, his dear wife are, are great friends with me and Kelly now. And uh, yeah, just a little bit of a, a moment of insane courage and being willing to hang out by the mat. Go where, the, go where the greats are. All right. So running short of time. So let's wrap things up. You, you know, in, near the end of your book, you talk about helping your employees live, not just to exist, right? You tell the story about going blind at the DMV. Yeah. What the hell happened there? <laughs> so I was diagnosed with keratoconus and I was not diagnosed until I went in to renew my driver's license at 21 at the DMV in Heber city, Utah. And I well, looking closely at you right now. You don't appear to be blind. Am yeah. I wrong? You see yeah. Me, right? okay. yeah. Right. I, little did you know, Gene, I'm blind this whole time. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> right. Right. Well, if you think if you're blind, I guess I've got a full head of hair. You know what I mean? I'm like, but six foot two. Yeah, handsome young man. I love it. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I, I was going blind, so I couldn't pass the vision test because my vision was so bad. But keratoconus mm-hmm. patients, we all know that if we just need to see better, we'll squint. And it would, it would cone that, that the, the shape of our eyes to where we could see. And I just thought the way I saw was the way everybody else saw and at 21, my eyes were as bad as an 87-year-old's. Wow. And the doctor said, you'll have a, a, about until age 30, 31, until you go completely blind. Hmm. And I wanted to be a pilot, right? Like being a drummer, and that was a part of my life. But like doing this, okay. what I do now, was not a part of the cards. And everything changed in a moment. Hmm. And I went from having this passion, purpose, and direction to no longer knowing what I was going to do with my life. Hmm. And, uh, and then I tell a story of another mentor in college that shared that quote by Oscar Wilde to live is the rarest thing in the world and changed my life through that and because I wasn't living. I was in a job that every day I was just existing. Mm. I, I, you know, money was great, I, but I wasn't fulfilled. There was no passion. There was no purpose. Mm. And um, long story short, to answer that question about why I'm not blind, uh, six and a half years ago, they came out with a new study. Uh, it, it's called cross-linking. And it was specifically for patients that had my eye disease. Jeez. And I was one of the first people to take part in the first human study of cross-linking. Hmm. And they flew me back to California and they did the procedure on my right eye. And then six months later, they did the procedure on my left eye. And it 100% stopped the progression of my eye disease. That is amazing. And, and saved my time. 
it saves your sight, but it opened your eyes to living rather than just existing. Exactly. And that is the whole point of that story. Mm. And now I see more than I ever, I I ever would have saw had that not have happened. Let's recap. We're in a single moment of time. You've got, you know, we've got millennials right now. We've got Gen Z's coming up before we've got an older, you know, management workforce that it's up to them to recognize this and take advantage. Right. Um, We're at a time right now where it's important to create your own dream team of employees. Um, and you have to determine what kind of manager that you're going to be, right, Clint? I mean, are you a removed manager? Are you a controlling manager, a buddy manager, a mentor manager? Hopefully a mentor manager, you know? Um, you know, when it comes to managing our employees, you are telling us you want to give them the wheel. You want to let them drive. You want to have some independence. You want to have input into the business because that's what employees want nowadays. Having said that, uh, as a pilot, former pilot, or are you still flying? I'm not current. I'm not okay. current right now, but, but okay. still have a license. As a pilot, though, as you know, even when you have somebody that you're mentoring, you're still flying the plane and taking responsibility. And you're always making sure that if there is a crisis that comes up and there are always going to be crises, that you're the calm head in the room because that's what good managers do. Um, most importantly, uh, you know, you have mentors that help to guide you and you have to choose and you've got your mentors that you follow. Um, your employees need to have mentors as well. And hopefully you can be that person or at least somebody else senior in your company. And in the end, I mean, you know, like the story that you told about, you know, you going to the DMV and losing your eyesight, you know, let's just never forget that the people that work for you, they, they don't want to just exist. They do want to live. They have lives. They're human beings. So if they're spending eight or 10 hours a day in your business, what are you doing to make their lives better? Because whatever you're doing to make their lives better I think they're going to give that back to you and your company. And I think that's a really important thing. Am I missing any big, any big parts of this story? Nailed it, Gene. Like that's so fulfilling as an author to hear you just like, that is why I wrote the book. That is yeah. the purpose of the book. And thank you. Thank Clint, you. you nailed it. You nailed it. It was a great book and it's inspiring. And it's the kind of book that I think that anybody running a business needs to be reading. Because again, I know it sounds trite, but it is, you know, our employees are our most important assets. And, you know, we have to, things have changed. We cannot be managing people the way we did 10 or 20 years ago. Um, This book will teach us how to manage better. It's called, I love it here. How great leaders create organizations that people never want to leave. I've been speaking with Clint Pulver at clintpulver.com. Clint, thanks, man. It's a great conversation. I really learned a lot. Yeah, Gene, it's an honor. Thank you. Take care.